0: Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast here on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Joining us today for the conversation, glad to welcome Jonathan Bailey. Jonathan is the head of ESG Investing for Newberger Berman. Also glad to have back with us from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable and Impact Investing Strategist for the Americas. So Jonathan Amantia, it's great to be with you both. Thank you for spending Some time with our listeners and our clients today. Looking forward to the conversation. Plenty to cover, so we'll get right into it. To set the stage a bit for our listeners, I do want to point out how the latest Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication uh, did provide an overview of three top of mind topics investors should be paying attention to as we continue to move through 2022. So that includes covering climate change, resilience, sustainable investing, fixed income and takeaways from the proxy season. So to kick off our conversation today, Jonathan, could you maybe address how investors are reconciling the objectives on decarbonization that corporates and governments have made with the focus on energy resilience and affordability?
1: Absolutely, Dan. It's, it's lovely to be with you today you're right to point out that we do have some pretty um, significant challenges around energy resilience, uh, national security, and affordability. Um, You know, fortunately, as we record this, uh, the price of of gas at the pump has come down a little bit off its highs, but it's still at levels that are challenging for ordinary hardworking Americans. Um, And so, you know, one of the realities is that the transition to a net zero future Uh, is not something that's going to happen overnight and there is going to be a role for uh, oil and natural gas uh, for uh, the the decades to come Um, but that doesn't mean that the economics uh, of uh, low carbon and renewable energy sources aren't incredibly compelling Uh, and if you look at the support that has been put in place through the inflation reduction act in the united states uh, around tax production credits that are 10 years for onshore wind and solar uh, the subsidies that are available for buyers of electric vehicles, uh, the direction of travel is very clear. Uh, the uh, renewables and, uh, and, and other low-carbon energy sources and electrification uh, theme uh, is one that is going to be compelling uh, for corporates uh, to pursue and for investors to support. Uh, but over the short term, clearly traditional uh, energy sources are going to continue to have uh, opportunities to, to provide return uh, for investors. Um, and to be an important part of the energy mix. Um, So, uh, you know, I think ultimately investors need to be able to sort of manage those dual time horizons uh, while picking the uh, energy companies over the short term who are themselves thinking about that transition, are disciplined about capital allocation, are returning capital to shareholders, and are exploring credible paths to net zero in their own business models uh, you know, rather than sort of uh, ignoring uh, that shift in the economics that that is really inevitable ahead of us.
0: Thank you for that, Jonathan. Uh, speaking of climate change, this summer we've seen record-breaking heat waves, floods, droughts, wildfires. It does seem like the future, in many ways, is already here. As I'm speaking, I'm crossing my fingers for some rain today, as uh, my greenscape is now brown. So, Amatia, which types of companies or sectors do you see as most resilient, or even most vulnerable to both the short-term and long-term consequences of climate change?
2: Thank you, Dan. Good question. And, and you're right, we are, we are crossing our fingers for, for just... Uh, weather that that is better, uh, you know, w- w- that weather that we're used to, essentially, <laughs> and that our infrastructure has been developed around. Um, and in some ways, as, as I hear uh, kind of Jonathan share his remarks, which which are very much aligned with our view as well, some of these the longer term time horizon that we have consistently been talking about has been tied to this idea of climate change and climate mitigation, the energy transition. In other words, how do we move to that future where we are limiting the effects of of shifting Climate change, and we are we are prepared for that uh, kind of future that is more sustainable, more tenable. The, the reality, however, is that as we're seeing some of these effects materialize in our day to day right now, and you know, with this summer being one example of large parts of the world being under um, heat waves uh, that, that have had significant negative impact, then we start to ask this this other question, which is in addition to investing for the longer term uh, climate mitigation, then what are the companies that are also helping us prepare and position for the existing uh, resilience or adaptation to the shifting climate? So as we think of this, you know, one example can, comes to mind of um, – this uh, suspension bridge uh, over the River Thames in, in London that uh, is one of the oldest uh, suspension bridges in, in Europe. It's over 135 years old. And it recently, uh, in July, was wrapped in foil to protect it from some of the hottest temperatures that were ever kind of seen on record in London. Um, This wrapping of the bridge in foil, in some ways, that's the metaphor or hopefully the actual kind of technology that that we're looking for. Um, And as we think of what are these technologies, what are these solutions, uh, we group them broadly in three areas. So firstly, we think that there are opportunities in this area of or subset of uh, climate adaptation that ties to those companies that are helping manage the costs. Of climate change, so an example here is looking for um, securities that are exposed to energy efficiency. For example, from you know thinking of heat pumps, pumps to to building insulation, um, the type of innovations or, or kind of retrofitting often applied to uh, to real estate that can help keep down uh, costs of energy by by reducing the amount of energy that is actually used. And by the way, this also potentially can help uh, on the climate mitigation front by, by capping uh, carbon emissions released. So that's one category. A second category is tied to retro-building infrastructure. So as I was talking about that one example of the bridge wrapped in foil, you know, what does actual uh, investment in things like fl- flood protection or urban heat reduction uh, through, through investments like green roofs or, through, or, or investment in drought prevention or water improved water filtration systems, right? These are all infrastructure-type um, solutions that will need to be implemented sooner rather than later and the companies that are exposed there we think uh, w- would benefit uh, helping provide some, some of the solace that we need. And then finally, third here, um, financing of adap- of this adaptation. So market participants are likely to turn to green bonds, in our view, uh, to help finance some of this investment that, that is required for climate resilience efforts as well as climate mitigation efforts. So the providers of um, things like climate risk insurance may have good exposure here, but also broadly on, on the fixed income side, this area of green bonds for the longer term uh, could, could, could also benefit here, even as we think through this climate resilience lens. So these are some of the three buckets that we've been looking at, and, and they tie to some of our longer term investment themes as well. They're just subsections of the themes tied to energy efficiency or clean air and carbon reduction or even, you know, as we think more broadly outside of carbon to the other systems that support us and are impacted water scarcity, waste management, all these areas where the innovation is needed in order for us to, to adapt.
0: Thank you, Amantia, for that perspective. If we move through the topics a bit, in addition to recent climate events, the August Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication uh, does touch on the recent proxy voting season. We've covered this topic in years past, though this year we've seen record-breaking resolutions filed. Uh, the average investor support on ESG issues has fallen here in 2022, so some might assume this indicates that the market is turning away from sustainability. Amantia, uh, can you explain why we should look at this differently?
2: Yeah, of course, and and I think what, what you're hinting here at, at in your- in your question um, is uh, the fact that at the headline level as we looked at um, the the outcomes uh, of the now wrapping up uh, 2022 proxy season um, the, the the outcome was that the average support for e so, environmental and social resolutions that were filed was lower compared to last year, and in fact, uh, it kind of moved back down to about 2019 uh, levels, based on on data from from Politico as well as a few other data providers. Um, not only the average support uh, from shareholders at these shareholder meetings was lower, but also the proportion of resolutions that rich, that achieved that 50%-plus support um, uh, was also smaller. Uh, so fewer of the resolutions passed and became uh, kind of approved by shareholders as, as compared to the total. Uh, now, that's the headline numbers. And we've seen a lot of commentary, and it's fair to assume that based on these headline numbers, it means that the market and, and, you know, shareholders are coming into companies and they're saying, you know, no need to keep running so quickly on sustainability. Well, that's a fair assumption. We don't think that's a fair assumption. And in fact, we, we don't actually see this, to your point, Dennis, as, you're, as you're noting, we don't see this as a negative indicator uh, or on how we should perceive the maturation of the sustainable investing space. And there's three data points here. Three things that we're looking at to support our view. So, firstly, um, one of the things that, that we noted for 2022 was that it was yet again a record year in terms of the number of resolutions in total on environmental and social issues that were filed this year. Um, so, per one data source, it was 576 resolutions compared to 499 in 21, and 2021 was already a record year. So, so year on year, the, the kind of the shift has increased. But secondly, and more importantly, in this case, um, this year in the U.S., there was a rule change driven by the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission, which essentially made it more difficult for companies to be able to uh, stop proposals from landing on the, on the voting ballots of shareholders. Um companies um, have been able to not allow a proposal to go to vote for reasons such as, you know, the, maybe the company could argue that that the proposal was already implemented. Uh, so they had already taken action or the proposal was redundant to something else. So it wasn't adding value. And with this rule change, what it meant this year, according to data covered by Politica, was that um, uh, in, in 2021, companies were able to remove about 50% of the total filed proposals and as compared to 16% this year. Which means, based on the technicality, essentially, more ballots, uh, more resolutions ended up on the ballot. Um, but some of these resolutions may have not necessarily been good quality resolutions, right? Some of them may have indeed been redundant uh, or may have already been resolutions that companies have acted on. Which means that just looking at that headline, a uh, lower proportion of support, isn't, we're no longer saying apples to apples. And so we think that's not the right um, uh kind of uh, data point uh, and and insights together. Secondly, and really tied to the above change, um, one of the shifts that have been observed in the industry is the fact that a lot of these resolutions have shifted gradually from demanding disclosure and transparency from companies on sustainability issues to taking uh, more directive actions as as some... uh, market participants and investors are, are requiring companies to move quickly uh, towards, towards action and implementation. So it could be that this is a shift that, that will matter for the longer term. It's certainly one that we'll continue to monitor. Um, and it could also be that in the current environment of economic uncertainty, broad shareholders wanted to see companies continue to disclose and be transparent. But also, we're saying let's let's wait and see uh, on what what it means to actually move to to implementation on some of the commitments. And then third, um, you know, as one of the, the data points that is also important to note about this shareholder proxy season is that uh, while there was a you know, total absolute larger number of resolutions filed, um, the number of um, resolutions that was withdrawn after being filed um, was, was also high this year, and the ratio remained the same as last year. What does this mean? Why is the resolution withdrawn? Well, often a shareholder will file a resolution and then they'll continue an engagement with a company uh, and then come to an agreement where we, you know, the, the shareholder withdraws essentially the resolution and the company uh, possibly makes progress or kind of continues to commit on the elements in that resolution. Um, if that is what is happening, if that is what is kind of leading to some of these withdrawals, that we see as a positive uh, in terms of what kind of shareholders are able to achieve in engaging with companies. We do not see it as a negative indicator. So all of these three facts put together. So as in the proxy season this year, you know, indicated number one, there's still increased focus and interest and attention to sustainability. And number two, perhaps more conversations are still continuing to happen in the background to move the market forward in a sustainable way.
0: Well, thank you, Amantia, for that clarity and for sharing those takeaways. Jonathan, to welcome you back into the conversation, to hear your take a bit on this. Can you provide some further insight into shareholder engagement trends, Uh, maybe some examples of corporate issues that investors are most focused on? What have you been picking up on there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things at Newberger Berman that we've been very focused on over the last three or four years has been um, advanced vote disclosure. So Um, You know, not just waiting until uh, you get to the end of the season and and your votes get tallied up into some statistics, but actually to say ahead of the meetings, here are some of the important votes and here's how we're going to vote on behalf of clients and and here's why. Um, And then, you know, obviously, um, you know, sometimes we end up in the majority, sometimes we don't. um, But we are giving the company and the management team and the board and um, obviously um, our clients, Um, a lot of clarity and transparency about uh, what we think is good practice and and what is not.
3: Um,
1: And so, you know, we, we in this season, the 2022 season, went through this process at about 60 or so different uh, companies uh, on a a wide range of topics. Um, We can start with an example or two on the environmental side um, to, to continue the focus there. Uh, and I would agree with, with many of the points that Amakia was making uh, about uh, the nature of some of the proposals to change this year, um, you know, more focus, for example, on on Scope 3 uh, targets um, uh, rather than necessarily just disclosure. Um, and, you know, there were cases where, where we ultimately you know, didn't, didn't find the proposals as compelling uh, as we might have done in previous years. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't uh, an opportunity to encourage companies to take appropriate steps. Um, so, for example, at uh, Costco, um, a, a company that, that those of you who've, who followed sustainability trends um, over the decades you know, may have thought of as being a bit of a darling um, of the, uh, the ESG world, um, has actually you know, fallen behind a little bit. Um, uh, and certainly compared to the huge attention and focus that Walmart uh, and others in the retail uh, space um, have put on uh, reducing their emissions, improving transparency through their supply chain, uh, and uh, ultimately, as a result, you know, improving their carbon intensity. Um, Costco had fallen behind on that, and so you know, we supported uh, a proposal uh, around uh, climate reporting and disclosure um, at Costco, which which did gain uh, majority support uh, in the end, and and laid out you know where we felt uh, the company and management needed to to take further action. Um, you know similarly uh, at uh, Berkshire Hathaway um, you know where obviously we have a, a huge amount of respect and um a, and admiration for uh, the the incredible uh, investment insights of Warren Buffett but um, you know that's a, a, a an organization that has uh, lagged on a uh, disclosure um, of uh, of climate uh, indicators uh for, for many years and, and and has sort of always sort of said that it's up to the underlying um, portfolio companies to make their decisions. Um but, but in the context of an SEC that is proposing uh rules on mandatory uh climate uh reporting by corporates uh, and um clear uh, climate risk uh among uh, many of the underlying companies, you know, we really did feel that this was uh, time uh for the company to take uh, more action on reporting than they had done uh, thus far. Um, and the result of that proposal, you know, unsurprisingly, you know, the, there's a, a, a lot of, uh, of, of stock owned by insiders. Um, so the result was, was unlikely to have um, been a, a majority overall. Uh, but about 47 percent of the independent shareholders did support the environmental proposal uh, there. So, so those are examples of, of votes that uh, management was, uh, was saying uh, not to support. What We were supporting. We laid out our rationale ahead of time. Um, But that's not always the case. Sometimes actually management um, uh, recommends in favor of proposals. Um, So Boeing is a company that we've been engaging with heavily over many years on a range of topics from uh, some of the important safety uh, issues that the company's been facing through to how they've been managing uh, capital and uh, liquidity through the the COVID-19 crisis. um, And of course, um, some of the historical issues from a, a labor perspective. Um, But this year, we were actually pleased to to support a proposal and pleased that the board recommended supporting a proposal uh, around climate uh, disclosure. And that, we felt, was the culmination of multiple years of engagement that we'd had uh, along with other investors uh, on climate topics that had uh, uh, led to the company appointing its first-ever chief sustainability officer, uh, putting out um, a, a comprehensive sustainability report, including... Scope three uh, reporting and disclosure, um, and also um, uh, taking some steps around uh, disclosure of uh, climate um, uh, lobbying um, activities and so on. So, so you know, th- this isn't always a case of, of management and shareholders in opposition. Sometimes the dialogue that's happening well beyond the proxy season uh, comes to a culmination uh, at the proxy season time, with with both sides, um, you know, aligned. So so that's a a, a, a deep dive on the environmental side. Obviously, there are many other issues that are out there uh, for for votes and for dialogue. And one of the points that we always make is that uh, there are lots of topics that just aren't on the ballot. Um, So the competency of the board, the expertise of individual board members, the capital allocation choices uh, that are being made, the strategic vision of the leadership – Right, those are things that you don't necessarily get a kind of a single line item vote on, but they're important um, for delivering strong, sustainable returns. And so those are areas that we're in discussion uh, with management teams uh, on, you know, week in, week out, thousands of meetings a year. Um, And so, you know, sometimes the statistics on, you know, your say on pay votes or your shareholder proposal votes sort of miss some of that um, really important work that uh, that the shareholders are, are undertaking. Uh, throughout the
0: year. Jonathan, thank you for that transparency, sharing with us those examples and your perspective. So Amantia, if we switch gears a bit to focus on the third and final topic highlighted within August, Sustainable Investing Perspectives, uh, this does regard trends we've been seeing within sustainable fixed income recently. So Amantia, could you please maybe touch on some of the ways that ESG bonds are developing into a dynamic asset class?
2: Yeah, of course. Thanks, Dan. And, and I'll say, as, as we often do in our SI Perspectives podcast, uh, we're, we're covering sort of in a, in a whirlwind way lots of different topics here. But uh, one of the questions that, that has come up when it comes to sustainable investing bonds it's really tied to the question with which we started the proxy voting uh, discussion just five minutes ago, right? It's the question of, is uh, is the scheme behind the kind of the, the – you know the the wind that is supporting s i is is starting to slow down um one of the reasons why this question has emerged is because um as we think of broadly esg or sustainable bond issuance um in the first half of 2022 we've seen that overall issuance has uh dropped uh somewhat uh, in in the first half of this year according to data from refinitiv um so as we look at this and we look broadly at the macro scenario, what we think is that uh, this decline um, should not be, again, taken as signifying um, diminished interest in ESG or sustainable bonds relative to other debt securities. If anything, we think that this decline can be uh, broadly attributed to the broad economic picture of uncertainty, the interest rate hikes, and, and tied uh, to the Russian war in Ukraine as well. And, you know, in fact, as despite the overall market downturn that we experienced uh, this year, um, the longer term focus on sustainable bonds, in our view, seems to be strong. Um, One of the data points here was looking at a survey administered and published by the Index Industry Association that noted how three in four uh, uh, investment managers surveyed um, are looking to implement ESG or sustainable investing within fixed income strategies today. And this is up from 42% in 2021, according to the same survey provider. So this is just one of the ways in which one can look at um, the traction and focus on sustainability in the fixed income spaces as one part of the broader markets um, that tells us Um, Just broadly, where where the market is going and what the options will look like for investors, for asset owners, as they're looking to invest sustainably and they're looking to have diversified portfolios as well. Um, One of our our views here, and to answer your question more directly, Dan, about the the kind of the, the development of the space is that the fixed income part of the market um, still has a lot of way to go and is experiencing a lot of innovation. Um, we've seen green labeled bonds um, as having paved the way for um, sustainable instruments that that apply a user proceeds approach, meaning that high um, the the proceeds are raised uh for for these green label bonds specifically to uh to, to, to use this tied to environmental objectives like energy efficiency as to just to name one. Um, beyond green bonds, we've seen the development of social bonds, of sustainable bonds, and now increasingly we're seeing these very nascent offerings as well, like climate transition bonds, sustainability linked bonds, impact bonds, right? So many different approaches, so many different terms here to unpack probably for, for a longer call, but broadly to us, these signify that the market keeps innovating, that there's interest in the space um, and that uh, there, there will be different uh, structures that continue to be developed as investors think uh, of different ways of answering the question, you know, how do I help finance uh, sustainability while achieving uh, comparable or better risk-return objectives for my portfolio. Um, so broadly, I mean, this is an area that we're watching, um, and and uh, we we think there is a lot of uh, space for
0: for growth there. Thank you, Amantia. Running with this a bit further, Jonathan, I do want our listeners to benefit from your perspective a bit as a sustainability-focused asset manager. So given the economic uncertainty that we're seeing today, how do you navigate investing in the sustainable bond space? What opportunities or even risks within fixed income should we keep our eyes on?
1: I mean ultimately we we do need to keep in mind that any green or sustainable or label bond um you know ultimately is uh, is going to be you know recourse to to the parent right and so um you do need to evaluate them with the same financial discipline as you would a non green or sustainable uh, bond um and and so you know if if we're in an environment with you know economic slowdown in in certain markets um, and uh, although the, obviously you know, many companies are in a much stronger position um, given the support that came through during the, uh, the COVID nineteen crisis uh, than was the case in, in two thousand eight two thousand nine, um, you know, you do need to keep that in mind that um, you know just being a sustainable uh, issuance alone is, is is not necessarily a sign of a, a stronger financial uh, resilience. So so I think that you know that that first insight you know making sure that that you're evaluating. Um, this holistically uh, is really important. Um, secondly, I think important to connect this to the conversation we had a few minutes ago around the role of of engagement and proxy voting. Now, of course, as a bondholder, uh, you know you, you don't want uh, you don't have votes, um, or very very rarely in, in unique circumstances you usually don't want to be in because something's gone wrong. Um, so, so you're not using you know votes to influence a, a company, uh, but it is in, in an area we've seen a real shift in attention. Uh, from issuers to, to looking at their debt holders as a source of insight and engagement around sustainability topics. And, you know, at Newburgh Berman, we found that that has actually been an opportunity for us to be able to uh, promote sustainability outcomes and to uh, push for uh, stronger ESG characteristics from issuers that may not be as, um, you know, well understood from the equity market. So I'm thinking, for example, you know, high-yield issuers, uh, collateralized loan objects, uh, the asset back security space, um, municipals. Um, so plenty of opportunities to uh, be able to get exposure to perhaps some higher-yielding uh, um, opportunities in the fixed-income markets, uh, while also promoting, through engagement, uh, ESG objectives, whether that's around enhanced exposure or around performance. Um, and, and what we found in, in you know, the high-yield market and others is that often those conversations begin very much um, trying to help an issuer to understand why these issues of ES and G are important. And then over time, they might evolve into that issue actually considering launching some form of sustainability-linked uh, bond or a green bond or whatever, and, and working with us on what are credible characteristics, um, you know, appropriate uh, reporting and targets uh, that such uh, an issuance might carry. Um, and, you know, that I think is a, is a really compelling journey because it, it shows you that an issuer has gone from, uh, from sort of, you know, perhaps learning through to tying proceeds, uh, to sustainability outcomes. Um, so that's a really positive, uh, sign. So, so lots that can be done, uh, in the traditional, you know, green bonds, um, space in, uh, which is, you know, predominantly an in investment grade. Uh, but, but don't, uh, overlook the higher yielding, um, sub-asset classes within fixed income where, you know, an engagement-driven approach can be quite attractive in making a real-world impact, but also in uh, actually offering you that that higher yield opportunity as an investor.
0: Well, thank you, Jonathan, for that guidance, as well as for your insights and participation on today's Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast. Amantia, thank you as well for your insights. great hearing from you both. Thank you again for your time today.
3: Thank you.